When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Just a reminder that Diet Starts Tomorrow is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical advice. Always seek the advice of a physician or a health professional. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow. But I stand behind my decision to avoid salad and other disgusting things. With hosts Remy Casimir. I'll have what she's having. And Emily Lubin. Remember, choose like you have a secret. We're here to amuse your boosh. Hello and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Remy. Emily is not able to be here today, but I am so, so excited and honored to introduce our guest. We have author, motivational speaker, and anti-bullying activist, Lizzie Velasquez. Welcome to the podcast, Lizzie. Thanks for having me. Oh my God. Thank you so much for doing it. We talk a ton about body image and confidence on this podcast, and you seem like one of the most confident people to me. And your amazing career basically started by being bullied for your appearance. Yes. So you were born with a congenital disease. Can you explain that to our listeners who are not familiar with you yet? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I like to say condition because I feel like disease sounds like such a gross word. But um, yeah, so I wasn't officially diagnosed until the age of 25. I'm 34 years old right now. Um, Mm -hmm. So for a majority of my life, I was just sort of this big question mark. I was my parents' firstborn child, and my mom's pregnancy was completely normal. Up until the very end, she did an ultrasound, and they realized that I had stopped growing, and so she had to have an emergency C-section. When I came out, I shouldn't have been alive. There was no amniotic fluid around me, but I came out screaming at the top of my lungs. Um, I think that sort of just like was sort of just like a hint of what the rest of my life was going to be like. I'm here. <laughs> I weighed two pounds, 10 ounces. Um, mm-hmm. My skin was very translucent. So you could see all of my veins, which you still can now. And all of the tests that doctors do whenever there's a new baby, I don't know what they all are, but all of the tests were coming back with normal scores. And so none of it really made sense of how I was getting all of these normal normal scores and things, but yet I was in this very, very small body. And because at the time there was no like research or anything that they could look at and say, this is what your daughter has. This is what you should prepare for. So instead of, you know, being reassuring or being honest and saying, we don't really know what this is. They basically prepared my parents for the worst. Um, They took a Polaroid picture of me before they took me to my mom. And they said, we want to show you her her photo because we think you're going to be too scared to see her in person. And of course, my parents pushed it away and said, she's our daughter, bring her to us. And Mm -hmm. so the doctors basically said, she's not going to do anything the rest of her life. She won't be able to eat or talk or speak or do anything. You'll have to take care of her. Uh, And again, this was all going back to just because of how I looked physically. Um, there's no sort of proof or evidence to say this is what it will be like the rest of her life. So they sort of went into it with this fear and, and super, super long story short. Um, I have a very weak immune system. Um, I've, I've always had that. So a simple cold could bring me down for two to four weeks. Besides that, I am in a very small body and you would think if you see me that I'm very fragile and, and I'm not whatsoever. I've only broken a bone on a trampoline on accident, uh, which I feel is is fairly normal. 
but I do cheerleading and all of these other things. And so my bones are actually very strong despite looking very small. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my vision in my right eye when I was four years old. We're not sure if it's because of the condition or why, but that's sort of why I have one blue eye and one brown eye. Other than that, I just cannot gain weight. So right. we have tried every supplement. We've tried every anything you can imagine to try to put on weight, changing my diet, adding new things, and absolutely nothing works. And so we've we've come to the conclusion that it is part of my diagnosis, which is neonatal prodroid syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's made up of two things, lipodystrophy and Marfan's. Lipodystrophy just doesn't allow me to gain weight. So that's something we've known all along. Um, Marfan's, I found out, is fairly new or is fairly common. But the type that I have is uh, very rare. So it affects your eyes, your bones, and your heart. The heart, of course, being the scariest. So I now run the risk of my aortic valve rupturing. Um, There's a Mm -hmm. very small chance, if that were to happen, that I would make it to surgery in time to sort of help. But it sounds it sounds scary, but I look at it as a way of at least we know now and we have a game plan. You have a plan. We start yeah. seeing signs, and so there's steps to take before that hopefully never happens. Um, For sure. But yeah, so basically, I'm just in a, in a body that can't gain weight and looks fairly different from other people. Right, and you mentioned in your TED talk, you kind of joked about it that you're like a lot of people would want it to be difficult to gain weight, and there's a word that you mentioned in, you have this great documentary called A Brave Heart. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but it's a word that a lot of people would like to be called. And you say that you're not into it. You mind if I say it? What is it? Skinny. Oh yeah, you can say it. Yeah. So you're not a huge fan of the word skinny. And can you just explain that to any listeners who might be like, why? Yeah, I mean, I think think there are certain words that anyone sort of has a weird reaction to or a negative reaction to. And I think for me, it's mostly because it was used in such a negative way for a majority of my life. And so for some, for some people, a majority of people, I think saying, oh, you think I'm skinny or you, you know, there's Mm -hmm. that meme or whatever the thing like I'm skinny. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, a lot of people like that's the goal. That's what you want to be. But mm-hmm. for me, I was always told, why are you so skinny or what's wrong with you? And it was always used in a way that was very negative. And totally. so for me, I hear that. And, and when you're in a body where you cannot physically change it, no matter mm-hmm. what you do, and all you want to do is be the opposite of something, when you're told what you don't want to be, you don't want to hear it. And you sort of just grow this this weird emotion towards it. So I think that's how I've always felt with with, with that word is, is, is just, it's just sort of always rubbed me the wrong way, but it's yeah. something that I, I don't blame. A, if someone tells me it or whatever, it's not like I, I get mad or anything. It's just, I just sort of have like a, oof, that word. Yeah, no, I, my mom grew up telling me that she hated being called skinny because it was a derogatory mm-hmm. and I just, I could never understand it. And of course, like you never want to have somebody comment on your looks in a negative way or in any way at all if you didn't ask for it. Right. There was an article, you did an interview with somebody and she put out this headline that was like, woman needs to eat every 15 minutes or else she will die. Yeah. Yeah. That not being true. How did you feel when that came out? I was shocked. I was honestly so shocked because I did this interview I guess to back up a little bit, my family and I sort of made this agreement a long mm-hmm. time ago that I would start telling my story publicly. And yeah. to be completely honest, I at first I didn't really feel like I even had a story because I, I was raised in such a normal way to where I was just I was just Lizzie. So to mm-hmm. be able to really realize like, oh, I do have a story, I guess, you know, being different is is something that other people relate to. And so we sort of agreed that we would you know, only do things that I felt comfortable with and telling my story. And so I was reached out by a public a magazine uh, mm-hmm. from the UK and the reporter emailed and just said, you know, we'd love to talk to you, cover your story in our magazine. I said, great. We talked on the phone for almost two hours. It was a very, very, very long interview. Yeah. And 
the entire time, it was just a normal conversation. And so once the the article came out and the headline was girl must eat every 15 minutes or she'll die. And my first thought was sort of like, I survived our phone call for <laughs> two hours and yeah. you, never, you never heard me eat or open up anything. Yeah. And so that right away was just like my first thought of like, what, how, how did this Bad even journalism? Out? Yeah. And yeah. so I think that was my first, my first time to learn what going viral means. Um, which, which oddly, I guess back then it was, it was more in a physical way because it was an actual magazine. Uh, but it's wait, was this pre YouTube? It was a little while after that, a few years after. So this is the first time you went viral on your own accord. Yes. But but also not still like you chose to do. Yeah. 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 So the bad video, I didn't really have anything to do with, but with this one, I was the one who was, you know, actually giving the quotes and the interviews Mm -hmm. and all these things. And so it went everywhere so fast and, I mean, if you see a news article where you you see such a headline like this, of course you want to be the one who's like putting this this news story out of, oh my gosh, this girl, like how does she sleep? How much is her grocery bill? She has to eat every 15 minutes. Yeah, it'd be so expensive. Unbelievable. And you don't have to eat every 15 minutes. You you like eating. I do. And we talk about like the culture around eating and families and your family sounds wonderful. How were they with food and eating? Like was dieting ever discussed or people's bodies ever talked about? Um, I come from two, I'm Hispanic. And so I come mm-hmm. from very, very large Hispanic families and food is just a part of our culture. And so it's always been something that's when you have the smallest of events, that's not even a party, there's a lot of food. And so it's always been like that, but it's never been where it's been a big topic of where someone is like talking about your body size or you're eating Mm -hmm. too much. It's never really been like that. Not even my, like, not just my immediate family, but my extended family as well. It's never really been a big topic. Um, I I know it's a thing that's that's very common, but in our family, it just really wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. But I I have a very, very small stomach. And so I I eat and I get full very quickly. And I'm also very, very, very picky. And I have have the appetite of a five-year-old. And so eating like kids' meals is enough for me. But once I'll get full, I'm give it like an hour and I'm looking for another snack again. And then I get full and it's sort of this routine and it's just sort of been normal my whole life. And it's, it's funny because my, my friends, especially like when I had roommates in college and then afterwards and, and, you know, being an adult and everyone would get so mad who would live with me because all of my stuff is like not healthy stuff. And everyone Mm. wants to eat the not healthy stuff. And so especially my sister, after she graduated college, she lived with me for a while. And we had this big pantry. And in the pantry was like my side of like kid food and then her side of like super healthy stuff. So they like my family members will try to like diet. But if I'm with them, they can't do it. It's hard. (laughs) Yeah. No, you've got a lot of Twinkies around. Yeah. What is your favorite thing to eat? It depends. I feel like I go through like these 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 times of like where I'm obsessed with one certain food and I'll eat it until I am disgusted with it. I do um, the same thing. But it's it's normal stuff like pepperoni pizza and mac and cheese and chicken fingers and fries and, and that kind of thing. So it's it's never really been a weird thing until I turned 21 mm-hmm. because I was going for to like order from the kids menu, but then I would get a drink with it and they wouldn't card me for the drink or if I'd order the drink first and they wouldn't card me and then I order from the kids menu and they're kind of like what Hmm. (laughs) so it's it's been an interesting experience so funny I'm a big kids menu orderer too I don't think anybody should ever look down on that agreed they're delicious foods Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. 
Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. So you do a lot of activism when it comes to anti-bullying. What were your earliest experiences with bullying? I I think the first time was really kindergarten um, mm-hmm. when I was introduced to bullying and you can I mean, you're five years old. And so I have to remember that I had this, you know, five-year-old mentality to where I didn't really understand what it was. But looking back now as as an adult, I I can see it. But um, one of the biggest things that I loved what my parents did was they never sent me into school or or into any, anywhere I went with a sense of fear. So I never went in with oh my gosh, other kids are going to, you know, make fun of me or be afraid of me or not know what to say to me. And so I, even though I know they probably had all of those feelings as parents, they never instilled it in me. So I went in with a sense of excitement. And so mm-hmm. it was a lot more of confusion Yeah. when I did encounter it because it just didn't, it didn't make sense to me because I, you know, had this great family to where I like had all these friends and, you know, friends and friends at church. And so all of these things was just like normal. So why isn't that happening here at school? Mm-hmm. So it took me a while to really, I guess, understand it in a way, but also to more so, I guess, just show them that I am like them. I just don't yeah. look like you. So I was introduced to that um, pretty much when I was five. And it was mostly like exclusion or were people saying things to your face or just behind your back? I all of the above, honestly. Okay. Um, yeah. It, I, it was also very different because, you know, you're not – you don't stay in the one classroom the whole day and you're walking in a line in the hallway and passing other kids in other grades or, you know, sitting in the cafeteria, which I always hated because other older kids were always there. And when you're sitting in one place and everyone's there and they can just see you from their table or when they're leaving, that was always very hard for me. Yeah. And I love um, when you went to middle school, I think it was one of your parents encouraged you to go to the front of the class and introduce yourself. Yeah. And I think in the doc, it was like everybody wanted to be your friend after that. Because I think um, if people see a person that they think looks different, they assume that they are different all around. Mm -hmm. And then hearing you speak and being like, oh, this is a fun, cool kid. You know, like they all rush to want to chat with you. And they could see you as more of a whole person. Absolutely. I think the biggest lesson I took from that is that kids are afraid of what they don't know. 
Mm-hmm. And once you explain it to them in a way that they understand it on their level, it sort of takes away the fear or the curiosity because they're like, okay, this person is this. And then it sort of breaks down that barrier of, you know, being afraid or not knowing how to react uh, to someone who looks different. And so doing that, I think definitely I hated it at first because I was everyone just, you know, looking at me, which is what I wanted to avoid. Your first foray into public speaking too. I know. Yeah. But once I was sort of gaining my confidence in it, it went from my dad being the one to introduce me to now. I was like, I got it. I can, I can introduce myself. Mm -hmm. And then it seemed like you had like a very great life at that point and you were making a lot of friends and you were cheerleading and doing all this stuff that is quote unquote normal. And then something happened when you were 17 where which is when I was first introduced to you and I didn't realize that you were only 17 then we were the same age but yeah. somebody put up a really cruel YouTube video and I hate even saying the title of it but they referred to you as the world's ugliest woman yeah which now looking back on it I'm like she wasn't even a woman yet like this yeah. is so unkind to do to anybody but especially somebody who's not an adult yeah. Well, I mean, what makes it even worse is I found it when I was 17, but the video that they posted was when I was 13. <gasps> um, yeah. So I, I had, again, myself and my parents agreed that we had been reached out to from the Maury show. I don't know uh-huh. if you know that show, oh, um, yeah. but they, <laughs> it was a good episode, not like their drama episode, Yeah. but the episode was called, I'm just a kid, please don't stare. And it was still mm it was myself and, you know, other kids who look different. And so it was my first time to really tell my story in, in, you know, a really big way. So I went on, told my story. Everything was great. At the time I was 13. I was awkward. I, you know, everyone is so awkward at that age, but when you're in a body that already looks completely different, I had braces, I had really thick glasses. I was 13. So I went on and, and I told my story and, I guess someone somehow, I still don't know how they got it, but they took a clip from that interview that was only eight seconds and they took out the sound and everything. And so then they used that clip on the video, the world's ugliest woman video. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see it till I was 17. Uh, And when I found it, it had already had 4 million views and thousands and thousands of comments uh, on it uh, at the time. So the whole thing was just crazy. I'm glad that you were protected from it, though, for such a long time so you could live happily. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, looking back now, it was sort of the best thing to ever happen to me, which sounds mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. But, you know, I, I found out, so I was in high school when I found it. And once I started talking about it, like to my group of girlfriends, and then sort of, it, you know, more people started talking about it. I found out that a lot of people at my school had already seen it, but Mm. nobody wanted to tell me about it. Even people, even kids who I I wasn't friends with, they didn't want me to know about it. So nobody talked about it, but it had Um, already been a thing, which, I mean, how often does that happen where something bad is found and, you know, other like your peers are trying to protect you from it? Yeah. That is kind of because the comments on that video are some of, I mean, the internet is a horrible place Yeah. and you would assume it's gotten better, but it's still pretty bad. And some of those comments were like the worst comments I've ever seen to anyone. And I I think that that person removed the sound kind of to like remove again, like the humanity of you, because Mm -hmm. once, you know, you hear somebody speak and like, you're so funny and you're so cool. Like they didn't want you to have that edge. They wanted it to be all about looks. Yeah, they did. They did. And, and, you know, I, I'm realizing even now at however many years later that I blocked out a lot of memories of when the day that I found it. So I, I remember finding it. I remember reading it. I remember how distraught I was, but I was talking with my, my aunt who, was my first grade teacher and my dad was a teacher as well. My dad introduced her to my mom's brother. They got married. So my first grade teacher became my aunt. Oh, and that's so she was cute. Like, she was in my life for, she's still in my life. But um, yeah. <laughs> so we, 
like our, our families became really close. So when the, when I found the video and then my mom realized what happened that same day, she called my aunt and mm -hmm. my mom was bawling and saying, she found this video. I don't know what to do. She won't get off the ground. She's just like curled in a ball crying. And so my aunt went over to my house and I don't remember that at all. And we talked about this like a couple of months, yeah. maybe a month ago. We, she was telling me about this. And she said that she got there and I was just so distraught and my mom was distraught and they were all crying. And I don't even remember her being there, but it's, I guess my, my brain is just sort of, you know, trying to block, block out those things. Yeah, no, to a, another layer to protect you. But there was something that your parents said in the doc that was like, when you bully Lizzie, you bully the whole family mm -hmm. because we have to be there to pick up the pieces and it hurts us oh yeah yeah it was actually my my little brother who said that and when we were filming the the documentary i i didn't go to anyone else's interviews so i had no clue what anyone mm. said i wanted them to be able to speak freely about anything without knowing i was in the room um and so i didn't get to see what they said during until the final the final thing so it was it was really emotional to to see them saying things like that we have talked about specifically parents and how negative things that they say about themselves or things that they say about their children can really sap children of confidence and your parents just seem to be such a great source of confidence for you. They seem like they have loved you unconditionally all the time. What is that like? And what is like, what is that parenting style? You know, I think one of my favorite things about talking about that is that I have a younger brother and sister and we're all adults now. And so it wasn't just me that they raised like this. They did the exact same thing with my brother and sister as well. So it wasn't anything that was like, because you're different, we need to love you a little bit more or do things a little bit different for you. It wasn't ever like that. And so with the three of us, I think they've, they've just always had such a way of parenting of where they will tell you, we don't know what we did because they've often been asked to write a book or go and, you know, help other parents like yeah. how to do this. Yeah. And, and they still to this day will say, I, we don't know what we did. We just love them and we supported them and we, encourage them to do whatever they put their minds to. But in my opinion, I feel like the way that they loved us best was raising us with a sense of humor and mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, life is hard and scary and something seem, might seem impossible, but there's always something to laugh at in the moment. And yeah. so being able to always know like, this is really hard. We can find something to laugh at or, even something, I guess that's a bit deeper than that is no matter what we had gone through, whether it was that horrible video or anything else, they would always remind us in that moment that right now there's someone who's suffering a lot worse than you. And so mm. always keeping that in the back of our mind, we had it. It wasn't, it was of course easier said than done because at the time it's like, I don't care about what anyone else is going through. I'm going through this right now and it's horrible. Like, let me feel bad for this. For sure. But yeah. reminding ourselves at the end of the day that we might not have certain things or we might be struggling with certain things, but here are the things that we do have and here are the things we should be grateful for. Mm -hmm. I think also they're just incredible. Like that story about the Polaroid where the doctors made the decision for yeah. them that they were like, we're going to show you this Polaroid before giving you your child. <laughs> and they're like, give us our fucking yeah. child. Yeah. Like we just love her. And I mean, before they had my sister, she's six years younger than me. And they were talking about having another kid. And, and all of their doctors kept telling them, like, if you have another kid, it's probably going to be worse off than me. And so they they yeah. just said, you know, God is going to send us who we're meant to have. And, and we'll just go from there. Mm -hmm. and there was something, too, that um, your doctor, when you finally got diagnosed, it was... Basically, he said the gene can't be passed down like it, it didn't come from either of your parents. Mm -hmm. And you were like, that kind of made me feel good because it made me feel that I was meant to have this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I in in the documentary, like all of that was completely, completely real and raw. And 
I had the children, we had no clue that I was going to be diagnosed while we were filming. And so I had the That's option crazy. to include it or I, yeah. you know, or if I didn't have to, and I could just, you know, let it go. But I knew right away that I wanted to include it. And so all of that was just such a, such a really big bag of emotions because when you're a question mark for 25 years and out of the mm-hmm. blue, you get a call. It's like, Hey, I have your answers. Come, come here then. It's scary. And it's, you know, I built my identity around totally. being the girl who can't gain weight. And so I had all of these internal fears and, you know, all the stuff going on, but we went and heard the diagnosis. And when my mom started crying and saying that she had always thought it was her fault, meaning she mm-hmm. thought that she passed this on to me, that she has held such, such guilt or whatever those feelings were for so long, made me feel so bad. So I, I never knew that, but Hearing that it was, it was, it was nobody, it was my mom and my dad didn't, didn't, and I hate saying do this to me because that sounds bad, but they didn't pass this on to me. And so there was in some odd way, I was, I was meant to, to live this life. Yeah. No, they passed down humor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and unconditional love. Yeah, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. There is a new TikTok trend that I had never seen until I was stalking your page earlier today. Mm-hmm. And I was saying before, oh, we think we would hope that the internet has gotten better. Yeah. This trend, um, it's basically parents pretending that they are FaceTiming with their child's new teacher mm-hmm. with the child. And then they put a photo of someone that they deem unattractive or scary yes um and you stumbled upon the trend before being included in it yourself what do you think parents are saying to their kids by doing stuff like this well i i had initially seen the trend in 2020 and i just gotten on TikTok and I was one of those people that was so against it. And then the pandemic came and I was like, sign me up. Same. So I went on it. <laughs> I'd seen the trend. So I knew of it. And I mm-hmm. knew as soon as I saw it, I knew my photo was going to be used at some point, just from everything I've gone through online. And unfortunately, there was one night that I was up late scrolling and saw the video of a mom showing with one of my photos. And 
she was showing her her kid the FaceTime and saying, this is your new teacher in hopes of the kid reacting in a scared way mm-hmm. and not, you know, wanting to be afraid and then in hopes of the video going viral. And so for me, when, when parents are doing that in their mind, they're saying, this is just a joke. I want right. to, you know, I, I'm not being serious. Like my kid is kind. My kid knows all of these things. And and for me, it just brings up so many emotions because when you're the one, when your photo is being used, you have such a different reaction because it just feels so hurtful, whether yeah. it's a joke or not. And whether it's you're showing it to a newborn or a five-year-old, it still hurts all the same. And having them learn that being afraid of somebody who doesn't look like you is funny is just to me so dangerous in so many different ways. Totally. It's preparing them for being extremely judgmental. Extremely, extremely. And so I I posted about it and it was like two in the morning when I found it and I was already in bed and and I was like, I have to say something or else I can't sleep. So I, I you know, got out of bed and basically just said, you know, I need I need some help sharing this. Like this is not a good trend. And when I woke up the next day, it went completely viral and it was all over the place and, you know, it was really great. And so fast forward two years later and recently I see the trend again because it's August and it's a new school year. Back to and, school, yeah. And the whole thing is is happening all over again, except this time, you know, it's a little it's a little bit different when there's when there's adults that are now wanting to, yeah. to say really horrible things about me. yeah. Not that it's ever okay when it's children, but at least you can give them some grace and be mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Maybe somebody right. has spoken to this kid like that. But when it's an adult and then they're parenting somebody and perpetuating the mistreatment of strangers, it's just very jarring. Oh, yeah. I mean, and again, unfortunately, it's something that I'm so used to from my whole life because... right. Even when I was younger, I I stopped going to, and still to this day, I don't go to theme parks. I don't go to places. I'm not a big concert goer because it's a lot mm-hmm. of people that are there, and I'm sort of stuck in one you know one spot, and it's a lot of people staring. and And of course, yes, it is different now because now when I do go out in public, I will get I'll get recognized, and it's always really kind and amazing. But back when I was younger going to the grocery store with my parents and we'd be walking, you know, there's like two ends of the aisle. We'd mm-hmm. be walking down and you can see the adults that are following on the other end of the aisle so that they can still look down to see me and like right. they're waiting as we pass by so they could see me. So there's there's been many times where I've experienced this in person. And so seeing it online, of course, is is physically different, but also it still hurts the same. Totally. Yeah, I was going to ask how online bullying or cyberbullying is different from what you experienced in the real world? You know, I think I've built up such a, such a wall when mm-hmm. it comes to being told horrible things online. And I've built up this wall so high to where I don't ever let anything bad get to me. And my reaction mm-hmm. to that is wanting to not react in a way that's negative because I know it'll get, it'll get me nowhere, but to react in a way where it's more of a call to action for other people. That's like, I know what this is like, here's what I did, you know, to help me get through it. But I'm starting to realize that it's so, I have to stop reacting in a way that's benefiting others. And I need to be able to react in a way that's sort of helping me process the words that are being told to me mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm in a way where I, I'll read it and then I just am like, nope, I don't see it. I don't hear it. It can't get to me. But at the end of the day, it's still there. And me not processing these things isn't, isn't really helpful to myself or to anyone else. And I, I realized that recently with the, the TikTok trend and you know, this, this woman who was posting videos and saying all of these things about me. And it was the first time in a very long time that I let what someone online said actually get to me. And it was like two days where I was just crying and I was so upset and I couldn't let Sorry. it go. And 
I just kept replaying it in my head and hearing what she was saying. And I was talking to my best friends and I'm like, I hate that I let her get to me. I hate mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm letting this in because I've been so strong to not let that happen. But now I'm sort of realizing how like feeling the way that I feel is valid and I shouldn't yeah. feel embarrassed about being upset because if someone were to call you an it or mm-hmm. refer to you as someone that isn't real, of course it's going to hurt and it's okay that it hurts. But what matters is how I sort of move forward after that. So I think I'm always going to have such a different relationship when it comes to how I react um, to things that are said to me uh, Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. I don't think I'll ever stay on the same sort of path with that. Yeah, there was one thing that you said that you were like, I took those comments and I built a ladder and you moved up and you started motivational speaking and you're a three-time author at this point. Like you're a very impressive person and you yeah like some of those comments they are they are debilitating but i think you're clearly so resilient as well i think i i felt like a lot of a lot of after the bad video i think mostly that's sort of when my whole mindset changed because in a way i if you imagine looking through a window and the blinds are drawn And I'm sort of with all of these interviews and things that I was doing, I was sort of opening up the blinds a little bit and letting the world peek into into my life. And Mm -hmm. while they were peeking in, they were sort of deciding who I am and who they're going to present me to the rest of the world. And I I didn't want my introduction to the world to be someone else's label of me. I wanted to present my own label. I didn't know what the label was going to say. I didn't know any of the details. I just knew that I want to be the one who's sort of introducing myself. And Mm -hmm. my only way to figure that out or how, how do I do that was to sort of just make myself better first. And so that sort of came in the form of writing my books and motivational speaking and your YouTube channel. Yeah, my YouTube channel. And I honestly, I know it's a little cliche to say, but I just, I never in a million years started any of this so that I could be where I am today. I started Mm -hmm. all of it because I just wanted to show the world, like I'm not the ugliest girl in the world. I'm not, you know, people aren't going to go from my ugliness, like everyone else was saying. And so I'm, I'm so much more than, honestly this was this was my thought for a long time I'm so much more than what I eat and what I don't eat because for so long that was the fascination that so many people had and I I remember once I started you know doing this a bit more professionally and I was having more people on my team and I would tell them like food is off limits like I just don't want to talk about it because it's just it's not a part of me and Mm -hmm. I've, I've had to sort of you know stand strong in that and show people that um, food is, is just, you know, the whole weight gaining thing is just a part of me. It's sort of an accessory to who I am. Um, but yeah. now let me show you who I am. I think that's so relatable to even for people who don't struggle with gaining, you know, a lot of people have come on here being like, I just don't want to talk about food. I don't want people to comment on what I'm eating. Like I define myself by other things, which is what your TED talk culminated in is like, mm-hmm. how do you define yourself? And you're like, not by what I eat. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm you know, I'm often asked, like, how do you define yourself now? And mm-hmm. that I, 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 that changes all of the time, almost daily, it changes how I define myself, because I think none of us really yeah. know what the next day is going to bring. And so being able to sort of just go with it and go with you know, my core values and and all of these things. And especially with with the TED Talk, I started speaking professionally in 2007, 2008. um, And I had no clue what public speaking really was or that it could be a job. And so I had to really be hands-on and teach myself how to do it. I've never really taken a class or anything on it. And just- Your TED Talk is so good. Thank you. And, and, And up until that point, I had, you know, been trying out like, writing out my speeches and practicing and, you know, doing all of these things. And I learned very quickly that 
writing it out or showing videos or photos really messed me up because I was so caught up in, is this working? Am I, you know, saying Mm -hmm. everything I wanted to say? So finally, I just threw it all out the window and just started talking. I just told winging it. Yeah, winging it. Pretend you're (laughs) talking to your best friend. And so that's exactly what the TED talk was. And with no Ted, way. Yeah, with Ted, there's um a it's lot of perfect though. Oh, thank you. There's a lot of rules with Ted, and I didn't even know what Ted was when I got the offer. Um, I thought oh it my was God. because it said TEDx, and I was like, I don't know what this is. And yeah. I told my dad, and he's like, Are you kidding? This is a big deal. And so I did it, but with the rules, you have to like really prepare and turn things in. And so I did it, of course. And right before I went on stage, I looked at the girl that I was, you know, planning with, mm-hmm. who I had only met in person one time the day before. And I just said, do you trust me? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I'm going to throw out everything we talked about. Oh and as soon God. as I said that, they called my name to go up on stage. And she's so, like freaking out. <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right, I got this. Don't worry. And so when I went up, I have no clue where how do you define yourself came from? I've never spoken on that ever, ever, what? ever. And so I just sort of went with it. And there's a part in the middle where I sort of lose my train of thought. And it's because I was just talking. And yeah, when you were talking about your hair. Yeah, yeah, I was. just yeah. And there was a group of high school girls right in the front. And so I was able to sort of talk with them and, you know, just bounce off things with them, which was really nice. But um, I did the talk and I just thought that was fun. It went well. And, and that was it. And I went home and ordered Chinese food and called it a day. And then oh my God. a couple weeks later, my whole life changed. <laughs> I literally, I always make fun of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel because she goes on stage and just wings it every time. I'm like, nobody does that. Yeah. And now you're telling me that this perfect talk. <laughs> <laughs> it happens it happens it's so so crazy to me I don't like the way that it ended I think like towards the end when I wrapped up with um I don't remember exactly what I said but it was something yeah. with brave starts here which was the theme of the event I think once yeah. it got to that point I was like oh yeah I did it like this was so cool and then that was it oh my god <laughs> Well, everybody should listen to that talk because it's so, so good. But you mentioned that defining yourself always changes. And Mm -hmm. I I do think that's good. How would you define yourself right now? To be completely honest, I feel like right now, I don't know how I would define myself. And I would never actually say that publicly before. But that's honestly how I see myself right now. I don't know. I don't know. But I that's think okay. I'm at a point in that makes life. me feel really good because at the end of the talk, I was like, I don't know. And now hearing you say that, I'm like, thanks, Lizzie. Yeah, see, it's it's possible <laughs> to like fully know who you are, but it's also possible to have no clue. But I think I'm at a point where after my TED talk, I had all of these opportunities and everything in my life. I was working for three years without any time off, straight for three years, and everything was so amazing. I finally had time off and things slowed down, Mm -hmm. you know, life happened and things were hard and picked myself back up from that. And then now it was sort of like, it's very different when opportunities come to you versus you taking opportunities out into the world yourself. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of, you know, can I do this questions that come to mind with different ideas or projects that I want to work on. And so imposter syndrome. Yes. Yes. And it, yeah. and it's so especially when you have like you built up this platform online and, and you feel like I have a responsibility to these people to continue to motivate them. But at the same time, like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. And yeah. learning the power of vulnerability has been a really, really big thing for me uh, lately. And so right now, I would say I'm someone who's trying to figure it out. I don't know when or how, but I'm trying right now. (laughs) Yeah, I think one of the things that defines you to me is your incredible speaking, your humor, your compassion for others, but also your favorite NSYNC member. Joey? Yeah. (laughs) We are always talking about, we're having a debate, Emily and I, who's not here this week, but she's a big JT guy. I'm a massive JC person. And I was listening to some podcast that you were on. (laughs) 
and you were like Joey, and I was like, out of left field. I know. Um, I know. What is it about Joey? I don't know. He was just always my favorite. <laughs> always my I love favorite. It. I went to their concert. I went to the Dallas. They were my first concert to ever go to. Amazing. <sighs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Feeling physically beautiful. I know you must a lot of the times because you are always dressed beautifully. Your hair is always done perfectly. Is that something that helps you feel better or it's just like, what is your relationship with getting ready? Um, That's a really good question. Um, thank you for saying that because I definitely do not look like this all the time. Trust me, I do not. Okay. Um, my hair <laughs> is naturally very curly. So if I don't do anything to it, it's very large. And I live in Texas. So the humidity, my hair is very mm. big. Um, so whenever I do do my hair, it's, it's, you know. Big hair, little lady. Yes, exactly. I have to like tame it or else it's just like a bobblehead, like of hair on this little body. But I think it's, it's, it's different because... I think a part of me has always felt like if I do my hair and my outfit, you know, my makeup and all this stuff and I go out in public, it's sort of this shield in a way mm -hmm. for people who don't, you know, know who I am. And I noticed that most when I travel alone for work and that was something that I never thought I would do because I just thought, you know, there's, there's no way I'm too small. I don't know what I'm, I can't see that well, but threw that out the window because I can do this. And so now I'm yeah. traveling alone. I, I've definitely realized how different I'm, I'm looked at and treated when I'm alone and versus if somebody else is, is with me who sort of, you know, has the normal look to them. Um, sure. So I would always try to like make sure I look nice and in my mind it would help. But in reality, it really didn't make any, any difference because people were just sort of, you know, staring and, and doing that kind of thing. But now I've, I've realized that there, I think I had the mindset for so long. If people are going to look at me, I'm going to give them something to look at. Let's give them something to talk about. Yeah, yeah. But now it's like, do I really care? Do I really want to put in the effort? Right. Do I need to look nice at the airport and be uncomfortable? Or do I just want to not do anything. And so now I don't do anything. And, and, you know, I'm just me and I'm finding the confidence in that, which is, isn't easy, but I've definitely, definitely on that road to it. But yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy it. I, de I didn't start wearing makeup till I was in college. And I've had to find different ways to be able to do it. Because when you're blind in one eye, you can't see your eye when you're doing your makeup. Right. And so I've had, luckily, I was blessed with long eyelashes so I can mm -hmm. hold my eyelash which looks insane and I hold my <laughs> eyelash and I can like keep a little crack to where I can see and then I can do my makeup <laughs> your makeup is always done impeccably thank you which is shocking shocking because I had to definitely learn your makeup looks different inside under dim lighting than when you go outside in natural lighting <laughs> for sure is there any part of you ever like I, I feel this way sometimes when I'm like doing my hair, doing makeup or like getting dressed that I'm like, <sighs> I'm giving into beauty standards? I don't think so. I don't think okay. so. Be and I, honestly, I 
I I feel weird saying this, but I don't think so because I don't think I've ever been the beauty standard. I don't feel like I've ever, I don't think I've ever said that before, but I think that's honestly how I feel. I don't think I've ever been what other people would say, would look at me and say, oh, she's beautiful. I would always feel like there has to be like the butt to it. Oh, no, I, I, you have definitely looked stunning to me. Oh, thank you. And my sister always says this, there's an ass for every seat, you know, like beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Do you have a favorite physical feature about yourself? I think my eyes. I think for so long I hated them, (laughs) which Mm is horrible because, I don't know, it's it's a whole rabbit hole, but um, I think my eyes, I think for, I I even had a tattooed contact made. It was a horrible idea. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh my God. It was a horrible idea for me. Other people, it might be a great idea. For me, horrible idea because tattooed contact does not move with your eye, with your eyeball. It stays looking forward. Oh, that's weird. So if you if I would like look somewhere else, my tattoo right. contact was still looking forward. And I decided it would be a great idea to wear this tattoo contact to my high school graduation for the first time. <sighs> People are like, Lizzie, you don't look like yourself. Girl, I was looking yeah. in so many different directions the entire <laughs> time. And no one was like, let's just go ahead and take this out. I'll just take it out. Yeah. yeah. But why could, can't you do a normal colored contact or no? Well, I'm wearing a contact in my in the eye I can see out of. I'm wearing a contact right now. But why does it have to be tattooed? Oh, so that it. I, I left that part out. The huge part of why it was tattooed. Okay. So that it yeah. could uh, look like it could match. I guess the white and brown. I get it. Two okay. different colors. I think it looks really cool. And I remember when Kate Bosworth came out with two different color eyes and we were all like, oh, frothing. <laughs> yeah. Is finding clothing difficult for you ever or you yes. just shop at Brandy Melville? Oh, no, no, no. I, <laughs> I, no. Finding clothes is very, very difficult at all times because mm-hmm. it's, it has to be very small. But then also like I'm very grateful. It sounds weird, but I'm grateful that like younger kids clothes are starting to look older because I can like get away with that I don't like that usually but I love it for you yeah see it sounds weird yeah it (laughs) Yeah. sounds very strange and inappropriate saying it but I mean it like for myself because there was a time where it was like I just need something that's not velcro I need something that's not bedazzled gonna light up you know anything my biggest fear would happen there was a Christmas where I was in mass with my family and this little girl walked in front. She was like six or seven. And we were wearing the same skirt. Mm. I was not a little kid. Yeah. I was like a like pre like late teens. Yeah. And I was mortified. Nobody noticed it because I was sitting down. But my family, who all noticed it right away, and mm-hmm. everyone was like hitting me to tell me. So I had to like, I'm oh, my biggest fear just wearing the same thing as a six-year-old. Yeah. We talk about how difficult it is to find clothes for many different body types and they, they need to expand sizes and ranges oh, and stuff. It's especially like my like pants and stuff is difficult. Finding tops is very difficult because for some reason, God was like, Lizzie, you're going to have zero body fat and we're, I'm just going to give you like boobs for some reason. <laughs> Because and the boobs aren't affected. It makes zero sense to yeah. me. Zero sense to anybody. It just yeah. makes zero sense at wow. all. And I feel like those God was like, your life is going to be so hard, but here are two things that are going to help you a little bit <laughs> in life. <laughs> and good luck finding clothes with those. Well, you do an amazing <laughs> job at finding clothes. Thank you. Like, Thank you. sincerely. And I there was one part in the doc where I think you were going to DC and you were feeling really unwell <laughs> and you were like I have yeah. to keep going because this is so important and also my outfits are really cute <laughs> they were all I had all of my clothes tailored for that because I wanted to like look nice and I found like a little blazer that I had tailored and it looks like doll clothes but I was like somebody has to see this yes that makes sense tailoring is probably a good friend yeah it is yeah you've written several books one of them is called Choosing Happiness. 
And I've been recently choosing happiness. I spoke about a, a deep depression that I had. And then I was like, I need to not do this anymore. Do you think happiness is truly a choice that we can make? And what steps should someone take to increase their happiness despite various hardships they may face? Oh, uh, well, when I wrote Choosing Happiness, I hadn't experienced depression. Mm. And so I was writing from the perspective of still being in college at the time, thinking I figured out life, but obviously had not. College brain. Yes. And at the time, everything was sort of playing out the right way. So I was uh, already starting to put the put my foot in the door of, of professional speaking and, you know, everything was sort of going well. So I was like, of course, I'm choosing happiness because this is what's happening. And, you know, my life previously was very difficult. So here's how I did it. But that was sort of like where I was at the time when I wrote it. And so I didn't experience depression until 2020 actually oh I wonder what happened that year (laughs) well (laughs) yeah I actually now that I think about it I think I I first experienced it more when um right after I stopped filming for my documentary Mm -hmm. uh because it was my TED talk and then a month later I agreed to do the doc and then we we just hit the ground running um and I had graduated college I was living on my own for the very first time. And I, you know, got this huge diagnosis traveling out of the country, all of these things were happening. And it was just every day my life was planned, who I was going to be around, what I was going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it stopped. Yeah. And it was done. And for like two to three weeks, it was amazing. I did nothing. I rested. It was great. But then after that, it was just like, now what? And I sort of just went into this deep hole of loneliness and sadness. And it was my first time to finally process my diagnosis mm-hmm. and process the whole heart thing and, you know, feeling guilty of like now my my family and my loved ones are going to have to wait until what if something happens with my heart and, and I'm putting through them through all of this stuff. And so it just got really, really dark and yeah. really, really bad. And it wasn't until my sister sort of realized that I was starting to take anxiety medication that I had from a bad flying experience Mm -hmm. and was just taking that more than I should. And there were, there were times where I just had bruises all over because I was running into a wall or, you know, doing all these things that was not me. Yeah. And I did so well with hiding it. And my, I think the number one thing that kept pulling me back down was I feel so horrible, horrible about myself and so lonely while a movie was literally being edited about my life to be shown in a movie theater. About how positive and amazing you are. Yes. Yeah. And and I could look at a bookshelf and see the books that I had written and and about like choosing happiness. But here I am behind closed doors and and I feel like nothing. Mm -hmm. And so... I look back at that at that time and I had such a whole lot of shame around it. And, you know, eventually over time, I picked myself back up from it. And I had this like mini intervention with my family and something that we all sort of handled together. And again, it came back around and during the pandemic when I had to physically be alone for almost two years because it was very dangerous for me. And the same depression and anxiety came up and I just was not doing well. And that's a part of the whole reason why I ended up selling my house and moving in with my parents because I just couldn't be alone anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think choosing happiness is something that it would be easy to say, yes, it's a choice and to do it. And I do believe it is a choice, but the reality behind it is so much bigger and it's so, so, so different for everyone because we all are in a different, a different place with it. But I think it's sort of, it's, to me, it's more of a mindset of I'm going to choose happiness, but it might look a bit different than stereotypically choosing happiness. Sometimes it's just accepting help. Yes. 
Yes, those were the hardest three words I've ever said in my whole life. I need help. I would rather go back to speak to like 18,000 people like I've done before in a heartbeat mm-hmm. versus telling one single person I need help. Yeah, it's really tough. Yeah, it's so, so, so hard. But then once you do like the the opposite of of sadness happen like once you let people in like it's it's hard to be as depressed when you have other people around and it just Mm -hmm. kinds of forces you to get up and at least put on a smile for them and then suddenly you're putting on a smile for yourself as well oh yeah absolutely and I think I had so much shame around it especially recently just because again I, I look back at everything that that I've done and and it's so easy to forget that your accomplishments are amazing and they're so great and they're something that you should be proud of, but they're not the sole reason for your happiness. They don't define and you. And my happiness shouldn't depend on the things that I've done. Yeah, 100%. Lizzie, thank you so much for being with us here today. You're fantastic. And I think a thank lot you. of people will relate to this episode and can benefit from you. I hope so. <laughs> I think they will. You guys, that's it for today's episode. Be sure to send your questions to dst at betches.com to get them answered. Follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram. If you like this episode, please write us a review. And don't forget to check out our DST merch on shop.betches.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And then follow me at Remy Casimir. Lizzie, where can they follow you? I'm at, at little Lizzie V. Okay, follow Lizzie. And remember, you guys, we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Aliza Zinn. Editing by Sean Kilby. Social media by Aliza Zinn. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Be sure to follow Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com or your voicemails to 212-287-5650. Betches.